Thanks for checking out the Lakeshore Podcast. If this is your first time listening with us, we want you to know God loves you. We want for your hope in Jesus to be renewed and for your faith to come to life. Wherever you are joining us from, we hope this message encourages you. Verse 2, and I've been having you read it with me. I'm just going to read it to you this morning. Uh, we may go back to that next week, but here's what it says in 3 John chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. And, and it's such a wonderful verse because if you think about it, you don't have to be a Christian to want that. Everybody just intuitively, that's what they want. We, we just want to live a great life. We want to be happy and fulfilled from the inside all the way to the outside. We want to be healthy. We want to have all the resources we need. We just want to live a great life. Well, we're hardwired for that. And the reason we're hardwired is because this whole idea of wellness comes straight from God. He, he wired it into us to want to be well and want to live well. And this really verse really reflects God's heart. So we kind of looked at it from starting with the Bible, and we found out the Bible condenses wellness into a couple of different areas. It talks about health, but it's not just talking about physical well-being. It's talking about health in every part of who we are as a person, spirit, soul, and body. And the word health throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New, just broadly means to be sound, to have a good rhythm, to, to have a good, a good flow and a good function. You're fit kind of like physically fit, but you're fit, spirit, soul, and body. You, you're, everything's intact and you're moving the right direction. And then the other part that wellness uh, is, is talked about a lot in the Bible has to do with prosperity. And we, you know, we tend to, to shallow that out to just talking about stuff or maybe money. And it's part of that. That's a legit part of what God talks about. And he talks about it a lot. But the word prosper or prosperity, again, more broadly in the way it's used across the Bible, really means to be able to, to increase or to advance in your journey. It means you're not stuck. So if you need finances, if you need stuff to not be stuck, well, okay, then God talks a lot about that. But sometimes we don't need stuff. Stuff actually is going to keep us more stuck. We need wisdom. We need understanding. We need to get our heart recalibrated because we're so focused on stuff that we're stuck in really being fulfilled as a person. And so the Bible condenses this and says that he wants us to be healthy and he wants us to be, to be prospering. And he ties it back and he says, but all of that is connected to and calibrated to the soul prospering. So these things begin in the deepest part of us and they flow out of that and that's what we've been learning. But it all comes back from cover to cover in the Bible. There's just no disputing it that wellness is God's idea. And you have to really get that kind of at a baseline because that'll help you to realize you don't have to beg God to get healthy. You don't have to beg God to, to prosper. You don't have to plead with him. You don't have to bargain. I promise I'll never do this again. I promise I'll always do this or I'll do it twice as much. You don't have to do that. Wellness is God's idea and it's God's plan. And he went to great lengths to, to provide for us not just natural resources, there's a wisdom that will allow the natural resources of the world and the culture we live in to come moving towards us. But God recognizes sometimes those natural flows and the natural rhythms of our economy or, or the culture that we're in kind of get it into a kink. And so God's provided for his people a supernatural resource. And when you read in the Bible, those aren't just like really cool stories. That's real. That's legit. 
And his promise holds today that he's provided for us supernatural resources that are not just infusing us with inspiration and encouragement and that's okay, we're going to make it anyway. Those things are great and they start from the inside. But this natural or this supernatural flow of resources actually affects every single area of your life, every single area. There's not an area measurable or, or immeasurable that this doesn't affect, and God went to great lengths to provide it for us. And the only thing he requires is that you surrender your life and you surrender your heart to him, and that you stay connected to him and to this divine flow. If you learn how to do that, and it's not as complex as you think, if you learn how to do that, then Jesus summed it up in the Sermon on the Mountain and said, if you will seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything else begins to flow everything else gets added to you. This is the promise of God. And so that's what we've been studying. There's a lot of questions. We went into pretty, you know, some pretty deep parts of scripture. And if you missed any of those, they're all on the podcast. You can go and listen to those. And, but today we're going to turn a corner and we're going to talk about uh, the purpose of wellness. It's not just what God did. We've been looking at that and we'll come back and keep looking at that. But we want to talk today, why would he do that? Why did God go to such great lengths to make sure that his people in particular experience this wellness, this health, and this ability to prosper or keep moving forward in their life. In fact, if we're going to title the study today, it would be the purpose of wellness, the purpose of wellness. And and we're going to see in the Bible three primary reasons or three primary purposes uh, why God really wants you to be healthy and prospering in your life. And I mean, he's more passionate about this than you are more passionate than you can imagine. And, uh, and all of those are going to be found in Psalm 67. And so this is your one more opportunity to find that if you'd like to turn in your Bible. While you're, uh, while you're finding that passage, let me, let me kind of start us off with this train of thought. Uh, there was an international speaker and an author by the name of Miles Monroe, uh, one of my favorites. I used to love to draw from him. He's recently gone home to be with the Lord. But here's something that he said. He said, everything in life has a purpose, But not all purpose is known. And whenever purpose is not known, abuse, now I'm going to widen that a little bit, and we're going to include misuse. So not just abuse, but misuse. He said, whenever purpose is not known, abuse or misuse is inevitable. Now, when we think about that, and we're, we're understanding our deep, deep yearning to be healthy and to be prospering in everything we do, it's really important that we understand the purpose of wellness so that we don't misuse it or we don't abuse it. Because this is really big in God's heart. He's provided a supernatural flow, but he monitors this. He wants to make sure that we're using it like he intended and we're not abusing it mostly because that hurts us. It gets our life all twisted up, not necessarily because, you know, God, God's going to run out of resources. That, that's not the issue here. So, so what is the purpose of wellness? Well, we can just take one of those dimensions we've already learned about. Let's just say uh, physical wellness. If you look at physical wellness and you say, well, what is the purpose? You know, why, why do people take the time to schedule checkups and to monitor their health and make sure they're eating right and they're exercising well? And what, why is that such a big deal? And you might just draw the conclusion, oh, well, because people want to live a long time and they want to have enough energy to be able to do the things that they want to do and the things that they're supposed to do. 
um, to, so, you know, so they can be everything that, that they, they want to be. And, and that's a great thing, by the way. That's a good thing. That's a moral thing. It's in the Bible. But if that's your definition, even in, the, in, in physical wellness, it's incomplete. It falls short of why God says even physical health has been made available to us. But let's take another one just so we can get a little bit of a balance. If we look at our vocation or our career and we say, what's the purpose of that? Well, if you just kind of watch people's natural rhythms, then the purpose of vocation or career is I want to make enough money that I can, you know, support my family and I can make sure that my kids get a good start in life and, and maybe one day I can retire without being stressed out about finances. And, and that's great. Some people kind of get more noble than that. And they say, well, you know, that too, but, but I really, I just want to know who I am so I can use all of my giftings and I can leave something back for society, for the world to know that, hey, I've been there and that's wonderful. That's great. Those things are biblical too. But again, they fall really short of God's purpose for wellness. So we look back and we say, what is God's purpose for wellness? And I'm just, I'm just going to give them to you, all three of them that we're going to look at this morning. And then we're going to dive down into Psalm 67. And you'll see how deeply rooted in Scripture they are. I mean, like all the way back to the beginnings of God's interaction, God's building covenants and building relationship with man. This was right there in the very beginning. We're going to see that today. But here's the three purposes we'll, we'll cover in Psalm 67. Number one, God wants you and I to be well because he wants to show his love for his children. Number two, God wants you and I to be well because he wants to confirm his faithfulness to his covenant. And number three, God wants you and I to be well because he wants to advance his kingdom work. And we'll talk more about that uh, in just a little bit as we get to it in Scripture. But once again, this is all found in Psalm 67. So we're going to spend a lot of time there. I'll pull in some other supporting scriptures so you can connect some dots throughout the Bible. But this is really the basis. So let me kind of jump in real quick and give you a little background. In case you didn't know, the word psalm means song. Song. And the book of Psalms is 150 individual songs. And these really were divided into five different songbooks. So there's actually five volumes of, of songs. And, and some of them are themed and some of them are not themed. Uh, but here's, here's what I want to point out regarding Psalm 67. Psalm 67 is one of 50 different psalms or songs that we don't know who the author was. A lot of the songs are by David or by a man named Asaph who was the head orchestra leader and the musician at the time. And, uh, but we don't know who this particular song was written by. Here's what we do know. And scholars conclude they, they've given this particular psalm a title and they call it the missionary psalm. Because <clears throat> when you read through it in its entirety, it demonstrates God's heart and his strategy to reach the whole world and to bring them back into his family. And so it's called the missionary psalm. And with that, let's begin reading in verse number one. And let's see what we can learn about the three purposes for wellness this morning. Verse number one begins. God be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. And then if you're looking in your Bible, sometimes it's tucked a little kind of down to the right, maybe pushed over by the margin. But there's this little word called Selah. And remember, Psalms mean songs and Selah is actually a musical notation. 
It's something that if you were, you know, striking up the band or if you were going to sing this, you would recognize that something needs to happen there. The author intended something to happen there for a specific reason. Well, the word Selah shows up 71 times uh, throughout the Psalms. And the root meaning of Selah means to lift up or to highlight by increasing the volume or sustaining the note. Remember, these are songs we're talking about. Or, or all, I should say, and or always uh, pausing for a moment of reflection or to appreciate and accept a truth that's being declared. And so it, it's this, like it's this rest spot in a song. It's like something was just sung or something was just said that's too good to just keep on going. You got to just let that rest for a minute and you got to let that resonate and say, wow. And you got to appreciate that. That's why the word Selah was in there, which if you're kind of reading critically in Psalm 67, you're like, okay, yeah, I get that. But why would we pause after verse one? I mean, we're just starting the song, right? Why would we pause after verse one? And let me just tell you the reason before I show it to you. The reason is because he is establishing right here in verse one, one of the most fundamental truths about God's heart to want to bring his people into wellness. And the way he did that, you and I can read verse 1 and we'll read right over the top of it. But if you're a Jew of Jewish descent and you've grown up kind of in this understanding of God's relationship and God's covenant, you would have recognized the phraseology there and you would have said, whoa, whoa, that's pulling on one of the most fundamental texts in the Hebrew manuscripts. And it's known in, uh, in Bible scholarship as the Arianic blessing. It just means it's the blessing of Aaron who was the high priest. So we're going to pause on verse 1. And I want to take you back to Numbers chapter 6 because that's where this whole blessing first shows up. And in Numbers chapter 6, Moses knows that he's not going to get to go into the promised land. And so he's preparing the children of Israel to get ready to follow Joshua to go in and to possess what God has promised them. And he's doing that by reminding them about all the instructions and all the promises that God's made to kind of get all that to the forefront after 40 years in the wilderness. And one of the things that he does is he reminds them about an instruction, a very intentional instruction that God gave to Aaron, who was the high priest, and to all of Aaron's sons who would fall into the lineage and who, who would become the supporting priests and then the priests after Aaron uh, so that God would have a representative to speak to and to, uh, to minister to his people. And this particular uh, instruction happened to be a blessing. And God was so particular about this one that he literally scripted it. He literally, you, we're going to read in just a minute, he literally says, I want you to say this, don't deviate from it ever. I want you to say this every single time. I want you to say it over and over and over and over and over and over. Don't deviate from one word. Say exactly what I'm talking about. And then he's going to give the reason why. So let's just read it for ourselves. Numbers chapter 6, verse 22. And the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons saying, This is the way that you shall bless the children of Israel. Now, we could say it this way, this, this is the way that you shall bless my children, because God's very personal here, you're going to see this, my children, the children of Israel, and notice what's next, he says, say to them, in other words, this is scripted, don't leave the script, don't go off on your own, don't add to it, don't take away, say exactly what I'm telling you to say, 
And this is what they would say. He says, uh, uh, he said, the Lord bless you and the Lord keep you. Now let's just stop. Because we, we've so overused the term bless that it kind of is so generic, we don't really understand what God intended and the way he used it. You know, we say, God bless you when someone sneezes, and it's just kind of a courteous thing to do. Here in the South, you know, we, we use the expression, we don't know what to say, God bless your heart, and we don't even know what we mean by that, but it's just this catch-all kind of a phrase that breaks the silence, you know, there for a moment. But the word bless is actually a really important word. It's the word barak in the Hebrew. And it actually, it has a lot of different, you know, multifaceted meanings. But it all flows down to this condense. It conveys the intent and the attitude to do good towards somebody. So you're letting them know, hey, I just want you to know where I stand in all of this. My heart, my attitude, my intent is always to do right by you is always to do really good by you. So when God says that to them, that's a big deal. That's kind of erasing a lot of the, you know, the speculation and confusion. Well, I don't know, where does God stand? God says, I'm going to tell you where I stand. My attitude and my intent towards you is always to do good, always to do right. And so he tells Aaron, don't deviate from this script. That's the first thing I want you to say I want you to say, the Lord bless you, but notice this, he says, and keep you. And the word keep there means to provide for, it means to sustain, it, it, it means to watch over, it means to protect, it means that I'm taking responsibility like a parent would for their child to watch over them and to make sure that they are providing and, and protecting them. Those are all parental responsibilities. And God said, I want you to tell them, first of all, my attitude, my heart for you unflinchingly is to do good. And in my doing good, one of the first things I'm going to do is take responsibility that I'm going to provide, I'm going to protect and I'm going to sustain you. This is my job as a dad. You're my child. So these are the children of Israel, okay? Now we keep reading. He's not finished. He said, and the Lord make his face shine on you. And this is another thing. He's saying, listen, you can't see my face, but I want you to know that every time I look at you, I'm smiling from ear to ear. To make his face shine, it means your lies light up. And it means you're, you're happy, you're smiling. God's not looking at you and I with a scowl on his face. He's not giving you a look of disappointment. He's not, you know, just a little frustrated like, okay, you know, you're a Christian, so I got to let you in here. But oh my gosh, you know, here they come again. That's never, you can't see his face. But when you, when, when God looks at you, God is smiling from ear to ear. Not only that, he says, and in his smiling with great joy, it says, and be gracious to you. This word gracious means to show mercy. It means to show compassion. You got a real soft, tender heart. But here's the two terms I like the best. It means to show favor to the point of favoritism. Do you know that parents will do stuff for their kids just because they're, my, they're their kids? I mean, you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a generous guy anyway, but I have a whole nother level of generosity and a whole nother level of emptying myself when it comes to my kids. Well, now my grandkids as well. And God's the same way. He said, I want you to know, I'll, I'm going to show you favor and favoritism because you belong to me. He's still not finished. The last part of the blessing says, the Lord lift up his countenance on you. And this means that whenever you come to God, God doesn't see you coming and God, again, he doesn't get this, you know, like, oh my gosh, here we go again. 
but God anticipates. He kind of sits up, his eyes widen and brighten. He, he loves for you to come and, and to even depend on him. Even if you need something, God widens his eyes in anticipation and in love and admiration. This is always the posture of the Lord. And the last thing he says, and give you peace. And this is not like the kind of peace where just, you know, mellow everything out so that, you know, things can be kind of, you know, uh, relaxed. And th- this is the, the Hebrew word shalom. And it means nothing missing, nothing broken. Complete peace all the way around, wholeness. And so this is God's goal and God's intent. Now, again, he told Abe, Aaron and his sons, he said, I don't want you to deviate from the script. I want you to say this to them every single time you're together. This is the last thing that will be ringing in their ears, and I want you to say it exactly like I'm telling you to say it. And how he, here's going to tell you why. He, in verse 27, it says, So they shall, other translations say, By doing this, Aaron and his sons will put my name on the children of Israel. I, want, I just want it grounded into their consciousness. I want them to know they belong to me. I'm their father. And I take a very loving, tender-hearted, gracious, generous, fatherly approach to them. This is how I think of them. There's tons of scriptures all over the Bible that just confirm that over and over. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, I know what I'm thinking about you. This is God talking. They're not thoughts of correction and harsh adjustment and none of that. He said, I'm thinking good thoughts. I have, I have hopeful thoughts. I've got a future I'm planning. I'm dreaming about what you could do. This is legitimate. Just like any parent, we don't know where these thoughts come from. But they, they rise up from us, and we've got such a dedicated, such, such a generous heart towards our kids, so, you know, dreams that we want to see them. All of this comes from God. This is exactly how he feels. And they, he told Aaron and his priests, I want you to say this to them over and over and over. Don't ever deviate it. You keep praying because I want it to be ground into their consciousness. I want them to be convinced because by doing that, you're going to inscribe my name in their heart. In other words, they're going to know that's my heavenly father. This is real. This relationship is legit. And I want you to notice how he finishes. He says, and I will bless them. That's a really important statement because when he says, I will, this is a definite article. He means I'm I'm taking responsibility. If if they don't do their part, I'm going to do my part. There's a scripture that I I go to often and it talks about the fact that even when we're unfaithful, God's still faithful because he can't deny himself. He's going to be a good father even when I'm not a good son. And he ends and he says, and I will bless them. So the first purpose in, in wellness, the reason God worked so hard and, did, and gave us a supernatural resource and he wants us to be well, the very first purpose is to show his love for his children. Now, some of you could be thinking, well, okay, well, that's great, PG, and we get that. And that well, that's really fascinating. And that, that's insightful. But that's Old Testament. That's Old Testament. Well, Paul seemed to think that it was in the New Testament as well, as did Jesus. And so Ephesians chapter 2 verse 4 says, But God who is rich in mercy, by the way, rich in mercy is where we get the word plutocrat, and it means filthy, stinking rich, like you can't even count how much you have. And so he says his mercy is so abundant, he doesn't even understand where it ends. But he's so rich in mercy, but I, I pointed that out because I want you to know why. Because of his great love with which he loved us. 
Well, yeah, but that's talking about people that, you know, are really serving him and, and they, they're devoted to him. Nope. Even when we were dead in trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. Listen to this last part. By grace, you have been saved. Why? Because of his great love with which he loved us. John three sixteen. God so loved the world. He didn't just love. He so loved the world that he gave the most precious gift he had so that if you would believe, you could receive eternal life. Did you know it's unthinkable for this heavenly father to have to spend eternity without his children? Unthinkable that his children wouldn't be there around the table and around the festivities and for him to watch them grow up and for him to do life with them. It's unthinkable to the point that God did the unthinkable. And God came down because of his great love and he extended this mercy and grace so that you and I could be saved. Jesus understood this, by the way, and he's talking one time to a group of people that were feeling super insecure uh, about, you know, the plan of God and how all this worked. And Jesus said, do not fear, little flock. This is in Luke chapter 12. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. And the word, the phrase good pleasure there actually means great delight. This is what he loves the most. And I've met a lot of fathers that are like that, right? My dad was like that. My dad didn't have, you know, all the resources that, you know, that he wished he would have. But I'll tell you what, my dad loved, loved, loved his kids. He loved his grandkids. And I had to literally be careful in my adult life that I just didn't even whisper something that might indicate that I had a need. Because dad would pull the shirt off of his back. I mean, dad, dad would go into debt. He'd do whatever he had. I'm not saying that's great stewardship. I'm just saying my dad's heart to want to love and to be generous towards his kids and his grandkids was just absolutely limitless. He just didn't have the resources to back it up all the time. That's kind of a bummer. I wish he did, but he didn't. But can you imagine what a heavenly father who's got unlimited resource, unlimited connections and access who can create opportunities if there's not an opportunity, and he's willing to do that to show favor and favoritism to his kids. Can you imagine what a God who loves us that much, can you imagine him ever walking away and leaving one of his kids in lack and want? You won't find that anywhere in the Bible. It's just absolutely unthinkable to him. One of the first reasons why God gave us wellness and the access to it is because he wants to prove to you that he really, really loves you. Here's a second reason, and we'll go back to uh, Psalm chapter 67. It, it kind of hints itself there, and then later on in the, in the climax of the psalm, it spells it out even further. But Psalm 67, the second reason is because God wants to show how faithful he is to his covenant. And he's going to do this by highlighting a covenant that he made to Abraham. And so we're going to see this. Let me go back to Psalm 67, starting in verse 1, to build a ramp. God, be merciful to us and bless us and cause his face to shine upon us. There's that Selah again. But verse 2 starts and says, that your way may be known on the earth. And the word way here is like super important because it's not just talking about a particular approach. It's talking about a mannerism. It's talking about a methodology or, or a way of life that somebody has. It's grabbing the character and what characterizes a person and pulling that to the forefront. In fact, if we jump over real quick and look at one scripture in Psalm 103, verse number 7, we can see the distinction where uh, the Bible says that he, this is God, he made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the children of Israel. 
And when you take that and you look back over the story of Israel that unfolds throughout Exodus really and beyond, but, but in Exodus uh, where Moses is concerned, you find out because of the shallowness in the people of Israel, all they really wanted was for God to give them what they needed. All they really wanted, you know, we're hungry, give us food. We're thirsty, give us water. Uh, you know, we're hot, give us shade. We, we, you know, we, we're afraid of our enemies, give us protection. And once they got what they wanted, that's really all that they, they needed from the Lord. And because of that, they got to see his acts. In other words, the children of Israel became very familiar with what God could do. Moses was different. Moses pressed past what God was doing, and he pressed into a relationship with God. And because of that, the Bible says God, Moses got to know who God was. And here's the important part, not just what he could do, but what God would do, simply because he gave his word that he would do it. Now, this didn't start while he's out in the wilderness with the children of Israel. If you like to read uh, the story in Exodus chapter 2, uh, towards the end of the chapter, the Bible says that Israel has been in slavery for 400 years. And the Bible says that God heard the groanings of the people of Israel and remembered his covenant with Abraham like hundreds of years before. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And because of, the, of a commitment, a contract that he made with Abraham, he went and said, okay, I'm going to deliver Israel. Next chapter, Exodus chapter 3, he introduces himself to Moses, and he brings this same thing up. I'm going to do what I promised Abraham I would do, and Moses, I'm going to use you to do it. And so let's talk a little bit about this covenant with Abraham because this comes into play and it's really important. Uh, we won't go through it because it has a lot of different components, but in Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 through 3, God makes some commitments to Abraham. He introduces himself. And here's what the, the promise that he made to Abraham. I'm just going to summarize it. He says, I will bless you. Again, it's what we see in Aaron's blessing. He said, I'm going to take the responsibility and I will bless you so that you might be a blessing to all the nations of the face of the earth. In fact, if you read Genesis 12, 1 through 3, five times in three little succinct verses, God uses the term, I will, I will, I will. I'm taking the responsibility. And he says, I, I will take the responsibility to, to fulfill my promise, not only to you, Abraham, but to all of your offspring. So I'm starting this promise with you, but I won't forget I'll be faithful if you will be faithful to me. I'll be faithful to, to keep my promise, my covenant with you. And it'll trickle all the way down to, through your generations to all of your offspring. If we follow that lineage all the way through the Bible, then you'll find the most prominent and the most important one of Abraham's offspring is Christ. And that's important for you to make that connection because Paul in the book of Galatians brings that up. And here's what he says in chapter 3, verse 13. He says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having been made a curse for us, verse 14, that are so that, here we go, the blessing of Abraham, that's that I will bless you so that you might be a blessing to all the nations of the face of the earth. He said, Christ redeemed us, Christ brought us back in, into God's family so that the blessing that was promised or covenanted way back there to Abraham might come on the Gentiles, that's anyone who's not of Jewish descent, but not every Gentile gets access to this, will come upon the Gentiles in Christ. So those that have given their life to Jesus Christ, even if you're not 
Jewish. Even if you didn't come from the lineage of, of Abraham in the natural, you're grafted in because of a relationship with Christ, and he's going to do this so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So in other words, if you're born again, then God, God obligated himself way back to Abraham, and he kept updating that all, all the way down in the lineage. He obligated himself to honor the Abrahamic covenant or the blessing to you just because that you're in connection with Jesus Christ. So you're as legitimate in that contract or that covenant as, as Abraham was, as Isaac was, as Jacob was, and fast forward all the way down to Christ was, this legitimately belongs to you. You're not borrowing something. You're not trying to edge in something. Well, you know, I know it's not really mine. No, it's legitimately yours. And Paul wanted us to understand that in Galatians, this is really important. Now, it's, I, I'm bringing that up because I've met a lot of people that say, well, yeah, I know you said the first purpose for wellness is because God loved me, but I got to be honest, Pastor, I really don't know that God loves me enough to really bless me. I mean, legitimately, measurably, you know, I, I just don't know that he does. And I'm, I don't, I'm kind of imperfect and spotty and, you know, in my behavior here, and I just don't know that he does. Okay, well, I'll concede that for a minute. We'll eventually have to come back, but I'll concede it for a minute. But let me ask you this question. Do you believe that God is honorable enough? Do you believe that God has enough integrity to keep his promise that he made to Abraham? Do you believe God's a promise keeper? Or do you believe that God doesn't really keep his word? Now listen, that's important because in our everyday life, this is not a hard question to answer. We know people, we can probably think of them right now. We know people, it's like, yeah, I, I know what they said, and I'm sure that's their heart, but I wouldn't put all my eggs in that basket because they're probably not going to follow through. We know they're not dependable, but we're talking about God now, the same God who said, I will never lie. I can't lie, but I will never lie to you, ever. Do you believe that God has enough integrity that when he gave his word to a man named Abraham, that he won't go back on his word just because he said he wouldn't go back on his word. Well, let me update it. Do you believe that God has enough integrity that he will keep his word when he made that covenant, he upgraded it to Christ? And if the answer is yes to either of those questions, then you have to come to the conclusion, well, then God's honorable enough to keep his word to me. Even if I don't think he loves me, he made a promise he didn't have to. He knew who I was before he made that promise, but he made a promise. And now that he's made a promise, God locks himself in to say, I will hold true to my word. I said it and I will do it. And you can count on that. This is a really important thing because we're not just going on fuzzy, warm feelings. You know, do we think God likes me today or not likes me? We, we, we have something that's more concrete. No, God made a covenant with us. We, we could use the word contract. God sealed this and he signed it in the blood of Jesus Christ. And he said, I will never go back on my word. We need to understand that as we go and we're looking for these areas that need healing, that need wellness. So number one, again, God's purpose for wanting you well is to show his love for his children. Number two, to confirm his faithfulness to his covenant. Let me just give you number three, and we're going back to Psalm 67, and we can see it from here. Uh, number three is to advance his kingdom work. And when I say his kingdom work, there's two things that God wants to do that converge together to allow people to come into the kingdom to be part of his family. The first one is God wants for people to see he's a good God. He loves his children. God is not an absentee father. 
Boy, God leans in. He thinks about his children all the time. And God has provided richly for his children things to enjoy. We've read scriptures about that even in this study already. But God wants people to see his goodness so that he can then give them an opportunity. Hey, I, I would love for you to be part of the family. I would love for you to get in on this. It's anybody who wants to. God's got this really big heart and he really wants everybody. So his strategy is, if I can get my children to recognize this and I can get them to begin to live in the advantages, in the benefits of of my kingdom and I can get them so excited about that that they actually share that with other people, then the other people are going to go, seriously? You mean that stuff's real? It's not just religion? No, I'm telling you this stuff works. And then they come to this conclusion, well, how can I get in on that? And then we get to invite them into the kingdom. This is God's strategy, and you're going to watch it unfold. We're in verse number two again, Psalm 67. He says that your way may be known to the earth, and here it is, that your salvation among all the nations. Now, those are the purposes. We read the first one so he can be gracious and his face can shine on you so that you can understand his way, his real heart. This is what God really is willing to do. But not only that, he can do this so the salvation among the nations. From this point on, for the next few verses, he's going to talk about how. How does that unfold? Verse number three, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. Oh, let the nations be glad and sing for joy for because you shall judge the people righteously and govern the nations on the earth. And there's that word again, Selah. Don't keep going. Stop for a second and just let that soak in. Well, here's a great reflection question. What would that be like? What would it be like if God legitimately was in charge, was calling the shots, and every person and every nation on the face of the earth was saying, well, I don't know, let's, let's do what God says to do. What would that look like? And, and listen, we, 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 we know one day that's going to happen, but we know that's not happening today, obviously. But Isaiah chapter 9 gives us a sneak peek about what that's going to be like. And he writes this, for unto us a child is born. This is talking about the Messiah or Jesus. Unto us a son is given. And listen to this. And the government will be upon his shoulders. So this is saying at some point in the future, this is going to be legitimate. Anybody who's given their life to Christ, we're going to live in another place. And in that place, the government will actually be on Jesus' shoulders. He's actually calling the shot. And when he does, look at what it says next. And his name will be called, by the way, by the people, not just his designation, his royal title, that too, but the people will confer. And and when we're under his government, here's what the people are going to be saying. Man, this is wonderful. He's he's like this counselor. He just explains and, and he works through all these crazy scenarios. He's a mighty God, an everlasting father, a prince of peace. And notice this, it says, of the increase of his government and peace, there will be no end. A lot of Christians have, have this misnomer about heaven. First of all, we, we can't even comprehend how incredible heaven's going to be. Here's the Apostle Paul wrote right, three quarters of the New Testament, and he gets to places where he's talking about, you know, eternity in heaven. He's like, we really don't even have a grid for it. I, I'm just going to give you a few clumsy words, and it's kind of, you know, kind of put some shapes and shadows there for you, but I just can't even describe it, even though he got to see some of it. 
The book of Revelations is the same thing. The apostle John has this incredible vision and actually gets to, you know, participate in some of this stuff. But he comes back, he said, I just don't even really have the words. We just don't have a mentality to even wrap our head around it. It's going to be so incredible and so wonderful that it's overwhelming. But a lot of Christians get the idea that, you know, you kind of get that first, the the wow factor when you get there, like, wow, wow, wow. But then after a while, you know, we're just kind of living, you know, just, just, we're, we're just there, that we just live. And we don't understand God. Because Ephesians chapter two tells us that once we get there, that God will spend all of eternity unfolding the riches of his grace. In other words, you're going to get there and your eyes are going to bug out and your chin is going to drop and you're going to be like, wow! And it's going to take you about 10,000 years to get your head wrapped around it. And just when you do and you're like, man, this is great, and God's going to say, you like that, don't you? Oh, yeah! Watch this. And he's going to open up something different. We will never peek out in heaven. Heaven's going to be this incredibly adventurous place. It's never going to be boring. It's never going to be, yeah, well, we kind of got this wired now. You will never get it wired. God's just going to keep us on the edge of his seat. And part of that is the fact that the government will be run by God himself, by the Lord Jesus Christ. And we'll just keep increasing and moving and growing and growing. And it's just going to get more and more wonderful, more and more amazing. Uh, I I think it's just going to be amazing that that's what people are going to say, because that's not what they're saying now about our politics and about our leaders. But the unanimous consensus is this is wonderful. This is incredible. And this is what God's promised us. Well, that's going to happen someday, legitimately, as sure as we're sitting here, we're going to be part of this, and it's going to be a wonderful, wonderful, unimaginable thing. But that's not today. And so today, Paul picks up and he says, but here's what happens right now. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, we are ambassadors for Christ. In the meantime, we've got this preview of coming attraction. But for right now, we're representatives. We're ambassadors from a kingdom that we know is going to happen. This is who God is. He loves us. He's faithful to his word. This is where we're headed, but not today. And so we're ambassadors visiting this particular government and this particular earth right now. And he says, and we're ambassadors for Christ. Listen, as though God were pleading through us begging through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, come on, be reconciled to God. Now, it's important we understand that because that's a job description for you and I as followers of Christ. And we could look at, at, when we look at the job description, we come back to wellness, health, and prosperity, and we recognize, oh, a lot of that are company funds. It's company resources. So we have what we need to be ambassadors for Christ. Not all of it. Some of it's for, God, for our enjoyment. Some of it's just because God loves us. Some of it's just because he promised he would. He's a promise-keeping God. But there's a bunch of stuff that God gives us, and he helps us to be well physically, spiritually, emotionally, mentally. He helps us to have the resources and the wherewithal we need to keep moving forward because we have a job, we have an assignment, and God's going to underwrite that. Shows up all over the Bible. There's lots of other scriptures, but, but here's one. Let me give you one more in 1 Peter chapter 2. Uh, this is a different apostle, the apostle Peter that's writing. And he said, but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people. In other words, you've been hand-selected. You're not, you're not living at this particular dispensation of time by accident. God knew you're going to be born right here, 
right now in the middle of cultural confusion and chaos because he wanted you as an ambassador in this time frame. You are a chosen, you're chosen, you're separated. And not only that, you've been given a diplomatic prominence that you probably don't understand. When you begin to share your story about who Jesus is, even though people don't always react positively, something spiritually happens. There's a spiritual something on that, and you walk away oblivious to it, but the Holy Spirit takes what you just shared, and he goes to work inside the hearts of the people that you just shared it with. You have a diplomatic promise as your words resonate, and your words carry weight that you can't possibly imagine. Because that's part of this divine assignment. And notice this, you're, you're chosen, you're separated, you have diplomatic promises. So that you may proclaim the praises of him who has called you out of darkness into his spiritual light. Well, that's the same thing that Psalm 67 said. All the people are praising him. All the people are talking about, I'm telling you, God loves his people. I'm telling you, God's faithful to keep his word. He doesn't lie. He doesn't go back. He doesn't, yeah, well, that's not kind of what I meant. No, that's what you said. And we, and we experience that and we begin sharing those praises, not always on a stage like I'm doing. This is another level or another uh, part of an assignment that I have from the Lord. But we share, our, we, we share, we proclaim the praises when we're sharing stories. There's been other times when I'm out of the pulpit and, and I'll just be in a conversation or not in a conversation. There's been a few bunch of times that I've been in a restaurant or, or I've been, you know, standing in a, in a convenience store and someone's just, you know, well, I just think, you know, God's just, obviously God's cursing me or obviously, you know, God just doesn't like me. And I'll just speak up, not every time, but I'll speak up and say, no, that's not true. And they'll turn around like, excuse me? Well, I, I just heard you say something about how God's doing, doing you, and that's just not true. That's not true. Obviously, you don't know who he really is, because I know him personally, and I'm telling you, that's not him. But if you want to know about him, I'd be happy to talk to you some more about it, and sometimes I actually get to. Sometimes I don't. But I want them to know in that moment, no, 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 listen to me, I'm, I'm not going to argue with you, but I'm just telling you, that's just not true. I don't know where you got that idea from, but that is not God. God loves you. God's a faithful God. He will do what he promised he would do every single time. See, I'm sharing, I'm praising, I'm giving credit. I'm honoring who God really is, has been to me. And in that moment, I'm, I'm proclaiming praises to God. Sometimes we proclaim his praises with our time, with our talents, with our treasures. We get involved. We serve here in the church. We serve in the community somewhere. And we're doing it for the Lord because we want people to know who God really is and what he's willing to do. Most people know what God can do. They're just not at all convinced what he's willing to do. But we're supposed to know that. And we're supposed to say, no, he's generous, man. I'm telling you, he's tenderhearted. He's got so much mercy, you'll never find the end of it. And God really wants this. See, we're supposed to be singing these praises so that other people can get love. Let's finish Psalm 67 and we'll bring it to a close. We're in verse number five now. We've gone all the way down through verse four. It says again, let the peoples praise you, O God. Let all the peoples praise you. That's a repeat, by the way, from verse three because he wants you to really understand that, the important role we have in proclaiming these praises. He goes on, he says, uh, he says, let all the peoples praise you then, or you could say for then, the earth shall yield her increase. In other words, wellness flows. You know when wellness really begins to flow? When you get into a community of people and they're all speaking the right things about God. It encourages other people. 
If you can get that going out in the community, then the community starts changing their mind and changing their thoughts about who God is and starts opening up and saying, well, if that's who he really is, then yeah, I, I need some help here. I, I could use some of that in my life. And, and as that begins to happen and the word of the Lord begins to flow throughout the earth, then here comes the wellness that God promised because this is really his heart really his intent. It says, so then the earth shall yield his increase. And here we go again, back through the three. Why, why, would, why would wellness begin to flow? Because God, our own God, shall bless us. Number one, because God's showing his love for us. Number two, because God shall bless us. It repeats that again. It confirms God's faithful to his covenant. He will do what he said he would do. And again, the third purpose is so that all of the ends of the earth shall fear him because he wants to advance his kingdom where God wants people to know who he really is. When they know who he really is, they can't help but buy in. They just can't help it. There's going to be a, a day that, and I love this scene in the Bible where the Bible says that all of us will stand around and we'll, I just can't imagine what that space looks like, but we're, we're in view of the kingdom of God, of, of the throne room of God. And the Bible says every person that's ever lived on the face of the earth will be assembled, both sinners and saints, and all of a sudden, Jesus walks out on the balcony. And we're looking at him, and the Bible says, when we see him for who he really is, nobody's coercing, nobody's forcing anybody, but sinners and saints alike will drop to their knee and say, well, he really is the Lord. Unfortunately, when we get to that point, it's too late for a lot of people. But God wants us to use our wealth and use our health, use all of the resources at our means to be giving his praises, sharing our story now so that people can understand, no, he, he really is a great God. He's so faithful. He's so full of mercy. And when he does that, the Holy Spirit goes to work and brings people into the kingdom. Hey, as we close today, as Pastor Brandon was saying, we, we really want to begin to grow and we want to be a church that responds, not just a church that listens and digests. That's great. But if you listen and digest, but you don't receive or you don't open up to seal it and respond, then, you know, it's like you're sitting at the buffet, but you never eat. And so we, we want to be a church that responds. And so here's what we're going to do as we end the service. Uh, you can see the worship team's coming back up. We're going to sing a couple more songs and have the prayer and altar team if you want to come and uh, you want to receive from them this morning. But, but I want us to just have, just for probably um, 60 seconds or so, I want us to have the Selah moment. All right? So we're going to think about it. We're going to reflect personally. So we just learned three very verifiable, irrefutable purposes all the way through the Bible about God wants, uh, why God wants us to be well. And so just think back through what's going on in your own life. Think about your own experience. Think about maybe some places that are dry in your life right now that you really want, you wish maybe that God would step in and do something for you. And let's just go back through those purposes. Let's have a Selah moment, okay? When you're thinking about those areas, do you really know that God loves you? If there were nothing else in the Bible, no other purpose, do you realize that your heavenly father wants to bless you just because you belong to him? No other reason. He, he just like, like Christmas morning, right? He just likes to see your eyes light up like, really? Really, this is for me? Really? You're, are you serious right now? He loves those moments. He's so tender and so generous. Do you understand whatever that need is that God loves, loves, loves? He so loves you. Maybe your area is like, yeah, I struggle with that one still. Okay, let's move to the next one. Do you understand just how unflinchingly integrous God is? 
Do you understand that he's sterling in his reputation? Not one time ever, 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 certainly in the history of mankind, but from everlasting to everlasting, not one time has God not, not done exactly what he promised he would do. He's got a 100% batting average. And when God promised you something, God will do it just because he said he would do it, even if something's changed in the emotion and uh, I'm, I'm not really feeling it right now, which is, that's not the case. But let's just say that you think it is, God will still do it just because he promised he would do it. And here's the last one. Think about the things that God's already done. Instead of just chasing whatever the next thing is and, and we just need a little more of this and we need a little less of that and you know trying to make these adjustments. Why don't we pause for just a second and come back and let's just thank the Lord for what he's already done and begin to let appreciation, begin to let praise begin to rise and not just share it with the Lord but share it with your family. Share it with other people. I bet you conversations around the home would go totally different if we wouldn't start with the problems and the schedules and the frustrations and the disappointments but if we'd start with all of the wonderful things that God's already done for us. How he's so faithful. How he's rescued us time after time after time again. And then asking the Holy Spirit would you help me to get this out of just my home? Would you help me to find places to insert this in other conversations? I don't have to grab a megaphone and, and do some big sermonizing thing. I can just share what I know about Christ and what he's done for me and let those praises just begin to ripple. As we're having those Salem moments and you think about the needs you have in your life, I'm going to pray real quick that the Holy Spirit will clarify some things. And he'll give you the courage and the confidence, not just to keep it inside yourself, but whatever that next step is, you know, whatever that nudge is in your heart. And he says, okay, then, then do this. Come on, then get, step, step to that, whatever that is. And you'll have the courage and the confidence to do that. So let's pray this morning. Heavenly Father, I thank you in Jesus' name that you're so faithful to us, that the word of God's been given to us this morning. Holy Spirit, you're the teacher. Take all of the things we've read and the things that I've said and use them for your purpose this morning. Blow away all of the confusion, all of the clutter, any insecurity, any past bad experiences that might cause question marks and bring back the word of God, the love of God and the purpose that you have for wellness. And Lord, I pray that you would give every individual that's listening the courage and the confidence to respond to take that step, whispering things to you, stepping forward and allowing someone to agree and pray. But don't let us leave this place without responding to you so that we can receive from you. Thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for more messages. If you like what you're hearing, share it with your friends. For more content from Lakeshore and information on services, check us out at lakeshorecf.com.